0: Hi. Hi, we are Malakai. This, this is, is a, a free download, download from, from Resonate 2012, 2012. Oh. Oh. held in the Channel Island of Guernsey. 2012. 2012. Please feel free to listen this to the, the other the sessions. sessions. <laughs> so I just want you to give a massive round of applause for, for Mark Pugh as he comes up for the second time. He's come all the way across from the UK. A really, really busy guy. So busy that I had to book him in advance by about eighteen months. So give it up for Mark Pugh. Cool. Good stuff. Well, about a year ago, I was travelling from UK to a conference in Italy. Speaking in Italy, and I'd planned it so that I would get there about an hour before the meeting started. In Italy, I was speaking in about three different churches. But the only flight I could get took me from Birmingham in England through to Paris, and then I had to change plane in Paris, and then that would take me to Italy and get me there just in time for the meeting. So when I arrive at Birmingham airport, I go to the check in desk, take my bags, and I say, Listen, I've got two flights. And they say, Yes, we know. We'll put your bags on this plane. It'll automatically get transferred to the next plane, and we're going to give you two tickets now one to get on the plane in Birmingham, and the other one to get on the plane when you get to Paris. So great, brilliant. So I got my two tickets, bag went off on the hatch. I get on the plane, takes off on time, straightforward flight, no turbulence. I land in Paris on time, and I begin to make my way through all the terminals so I could get to the right departure gate for my second flight for which I had the ticket in my hand. And as I'm sitting there, In this airport in Paris, waiting for the gate to open for me to get onto my plane, I'm reading a book. And as I'm reading the book, I hear in the background there's an announcement on the tannoy system. And the announcement, I don't really speak French. In fact, I learned French for quite a while in school. I know you have something, do you call it Guernsey French? You have some things that you use, Guernsey Guernsey, Patwork. Well, I don't know how different it is to the French that, um, that they speak in, in France, but I remember just a few small phrases. I remember, j'ai 11 ans, which means I am 11, which is not a lot of use to me in an airport in Paris. Um, I remember how to say... How to say um, Je habite à la Pays de Gal, which means I live in Wales, which is where I grew up. Again, not a lot of use to me. And so this announcement on the tannoy is in French. Um, but the thing that I particularly noticed and just thought, oh, that's interesting. I hear them say something about Monsieur Pug, and I never thought any more about it because my name, my surname is Pew. It's Pugh. It's P U G H. It's a Welsh name. And um, so Monsieur Pug, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Someone's called Pug. And, uh, and I just carried on reading my book. And then a few minutes later, I hear the same voice sounded a little bit more anxious, a bit more uptight, um, again trying to get the attention of someone called Monsieur Pug. And uh, oh, they, they're really keen getting older of them tonight, aren't they? So um, I carry on reading my book. And then a few minutes later, this French voice sounded quite um, uptight that nobody had yet responded, and again asking for a Monsieur Pug. And I just lift my head up from my book, and I think, pug. Now, a French person, they might look at my name, P-U-G-H, and think it's pronounced pug. I wonder if it's me that they're trying to get hold of. So I go to the desk, and I don't really speak any French, as I said. Um, So I I say to the lady, I am 11, I live in Wales, and she says, so what? And then uh, the conversation continues, and she speaks a little bit of English, and she's trying to communicate with me, and she basically tells me there's a problem. And the problem is this, that they have run out of room on the plane, and there's no seat for me. I said, oh, no, please don't worry, it's not a problem. She looked really relieved. I said, because, look, and I showed her, a ticket that they'd given me in Birmingham with a seat number on it. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I know that in French. No, 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 no. It was no, no, no. And she said, no, no, no. Someone else is sitting in that seat. We've overbooked the plane, and there is no space for you. And I said, but no, you don't understand. I have a ticket here with my seat number on the ticket. And she said, I do understand, but we've given that seat to someone else. I said but I don't have a problem you have a problem because I have a ticket that gives me a legal right to get on that plane because you've already given it to me he's got a seat number now I I wasn't confrontational I wasn't strong I wasn't shouting and what you need to understand a little bit about this story is that when I was growing up I was very very shy that's right you've seen the script in fact, I was so shy that I remember I used to do this morning paper round. Doesn't work, doesn't work there. And, and I, I, as I did this morning paper round, I used to walk past a clothes shop. And in this little village I grew up in Wales, in this clothes shop, in the window of a clothes shop, was something that I used to stop every day and look at. It was a gorgeous denim jacket with a tartan lining on the inside you you want one don't you and I used to stop every day on my paper arm and look in the window and study this lovely denim tartan jacket and think I want that every day I'd stop and I'd look I never bought that jacket do you know why because I was too shy to go and ask how much it was. When I got my first job, I had my mum phone the company up to see if they had any jobs going, because I was too shy to ask if they had a job. I found it really difficult meeting new people, because I was too shy. And here I was in a country that I didn't know the language This is quite a number of years later, but I don't have the ability to converse with them in a language that both of us can understand. Faced with a dilemma that someone in authority is telling me that they can't get me on the plane, and I find myself being confident. Why was I confident? I wasn't confident in my abilities because I Acknowledged I didn't have them. I wasn't confident in my personality because I'm still essentially that same quiet guy. So what gave me the confidence? It was what I held in my hand. Made me confident. The ticket. What happened? I said, I need to be on that plane tonight. And they said, Well. What we're going to do, we're going to put you in a nice hotel for the night, and we'll give you some money as an apology, and we'll get you there first thing in the morning. And it was a very nice offer, but I said, I need to be there this evening, and I have the ticket. So she asked me to take a seat, and I heard her announce something else on the, on the system, and a guy, a gentleman came forward in a suit, spoke to her. She called me over. He was a businessman that didn't really want to go to Italy till the next day. And he had offered to give his seat up. He would take the money in the hotel room. He was really happy with it. I would have his seat. I would get on the plane and make it in time for my landing in Italy. His seat was better than my seat. Yes. And um, I got on the plane and didn't have to argue with with the lady. I just knew that I could be confident that I had a legal right to get on there. There's a verse in the Bible. In Philippians 1, six, which is in the New Testament. And this verse says this. It says that you, turn to the person next to you and say you. So this is about you, right? It's about you, it's about me. And then just talk to yourself a moment and say me. Me, me. All right? This verse, this verse says that you can be confident. You can be confident that God has started a work in your life that he promises he will finish. You can be confident that he will finish that which he's doing in your life. You see, God is described in the Bible as like a master craftsman. He's like an artist. And, and I was at an, art, uh, an artist studio a few months back, and this artist was showing me around all his work. And it was a bit, it was a bit new sort of Um, contemporary art and I couldn't quite tell what it was he was painting but as he tried to describe to me what I should be seeing I would just nod and acknowledge yeah yeah it looks great looks great and I'm thinking I don't have a clue what this is but I I asked him a question I said at what point do you sign the picture and he said I sign the picture when I finished it and I'm happy that people will know it's my work Do all artists do that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much every artist does that. There's an exception. See, if God's like an artist and you're the painting, God signs you before he's finished it. Because your life is not, God is still working on you. God's still doing stuff in our life. God's still helping us to discover things about him and about us and about how he's made us and the reason he's made us for. We're like a work in progress, but he's so confident that the end result is great. He's already signed it. If you're a Christian, he's signed your life and said, Do you know what? I'm proud. I'm proud that you're my son. I'm proud that you're my daughter. Because he's so for us. And I tonight, just for a few minutes, want to talk to you about reasons why you can be confident in God, not in yourself not in your abilities, not in your competencies or your experience, but why you can be confident in God. The first reason that you can be absolutely confident in God is that you can trust him completely. Let me tell you a story. My kids, got three kids, daughter who's 13, son who's 11, another son who's 7. And so this story doesn't relate to them anymore, but when they were much younger there was a particular activity that I, as a parent, was involved in with them that I wasn't very good at. It was particularly pertinent with my daughter because the activity in question that I was rubbish at was being able to to help her do her hair. Now, I've not had practice with hair for quite a long time. You know, the recession didn't just hit the economy, it hit my head. And so I've not had a lot of experience, but I've never really had, well, I did have long hair when I was a teenager, I had a perm in the back and all that sort of stuff, which is really embarrassing, I should never admit live on a stage. But, um, but it's been a while ago, and, and I don't really know what to do. What do you do with a girl's hair? You know, what, what do you, you, know you look like you've all sorted it. Well, some of you look like you've sorted it. No, you all look like you've sorted it. But I, I don't know what you do with it. And, you know, when my wife had our third child, she was in hospital. She had a really long labor. She was shattered. And I looked after my two older kids. And I was responsible to do my daughter's hair for taking her in to see her new baby brother. And as I took her into the hospital ward, my wife completely shattered, completely exhausted from the Holy Spirit. She still had enough energy to pull a look of disgust when she saw my daughter's hair. I just can't do it. But there's one thing to do with their hair that I've been pretty competent at. I'm pretty good at. And you might find this hard to believe, but um, actually, you won't, because who can't do it? I used to be able to wash their hair brilliantly. Like, basically, the principle is you wet it, you soap it, and you wash it out. And if you're really posh, You put a bit of conditioner on, you leave it for a few minutes, and then you wash it out. I hope none of you have learned something there. I hope that was all understood. And by the way, that girl who won the chocolate earlier on told me that she didn't have a shower today, but she did have a bath. Very clever move. So you can talk to her again. She doesn't smell. And so, I knew I could wash their hair. So my kids would sit in the bath... And I would get a cup or a shower head and wet their hair. And then I'd put some shampoo on top and froth it all up. And then wash it out. Except it wasn't that simple. Because as soon as I walked toward them to wash their hair, they'd go, no, dad. No. Like they're not. I'm not talking about a 13-year-old. I'm talking about when they were like one and two. But no, that is going to go in my eyes. It's going to go in my eyes. And I go, no, no, it won't go in your eyes. Look, I've got a hand. I can place it on your forehead and I can stop it going in your eyes. Not a problem. But they go, no, that is going to go in my eyes. And I say, just sit still and trust me, it will not go in your eyes. But they go, yes, it will. And so they begin to move their head. And they begin to slide up and down the bath. And there's now water swishing over the edge of the bath like a mini tsunami happening in the bathroom. All the water's dripping through the floor downstairs. And they screaming screaming. such a high-pitched noise. All the cats in the neighborhood are gathered in the garden outside. And it's just a crazy environment. And I'm just saying, just sit still. Just trust me. I can do this. But you know what happened? The more they moved, it was like trying to put petrol in a moving car. The more they moved, the more I couldn't keep my hand straight on their forehead, the more the water dripped in their eyes, and they go, see, it's got in my eyes, it's got in my eyes, and I go, just sit still and flipping, trust me. But they, no, and the more they moved, the more it went in their eyes, the more they screamed, the more they complained, the less they sat still. And it just went on and on. And I knew that I could do it. I knew that if only they trusted me, that it would be okay. But they didn't trust me. Do you know, the Bible says that we can trust God with all of our hearts. That he, in the whole history of the world, has never once let anyone down. He has never made a promise that he has not fulfilled. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who cares for you. That's the God that Malachi have been singing about all week. That's the God that believes in you. That's the God that signs your life and said, I'm proud that you're my painting. That's the God who tonight wants to meet with you. And you can trust him. But the thing is, we think, oh no, it's not going to work out when we do things our own way. And we begin to try to live life our own way. And then it all goes wrong. And then we say, see God, where were you? And God says, you wouldn't trust me. But we can be confident. Because God is a God that we can trust with all of our hearts. It's a verse in the Bible that says, if we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, and if you imagine this stand here was like my experience, my understanding, my knowledge, my gifting. And the Bible says, if I lean on that, if I lean on the things I know I can do, at some point it will fail. But the Bible says if I don't lean on that stuff, if I'm not putting my confidence in my own abilities, but I'm trusting in the one I can't see in God, then the Bible says he will make the path before us straight. If you want to be a generation that go, that wake up, get up, and keep up, if you want to be a generation that makes a difference, you're going to have to be a generation that trusts God, that goes with confidence because you know that you can trust God second reason why you can trust God second reason why you can be confident rather you can be confident because God is a loving father who loves to give his children good gifts a few years ago my family, my wife and my three kids did a pincer movement on me they trapped me They trapped me or they sought to trap me to make a decision that I didn't want to make. See, for years, 20 years I've been married. And over those 20 years, my wife said, can we have a dog? And I said, no, we can't have a dog. And she said, can we have a dog? And I said, no, we can't have a dog. And then she'd come back and she'd go, can we have a dog? And I say, no, we can't have a dog. And then child number one came along. And when child number one learned to speak, she would say, Can we have a dog? And my wife would say, Can we have a dog? And I say, No, we can't. No, we can't. And then child number two comes along. And child number two says, Can we have a dog? Child number one says, Can we have a dog? My wife says, Can we have a dog? The answer, you can join in if you want, like karaoke. No, you can't have a dog. And then child number three comes along. Child number three says, Can we have a dog? And child number two says, Can we have a dog? Because he's getting a bit older now. Child number one says, Can we have a dog? And my wife says, Please, darling, can we have a dog? And I go, you were there. And then at three years ago, we moved. And after over all the years of concessions of cats and guinea pigs and gerbils and rabbits and fish and snakes and all that sort of stuff, that's been like a compromise that none of them have met they need for a dog. Three years ago, we moved. And on the day that we move, and it's a beautiful sunny day. Do you remember those? You still have them here. We, we, used, we had sunny once in England. It was quite a while ago, but it was a nice day. And it was the day we moved. And we had all our stuff loaded in the van. Our kids ran into the house, and they were all choosing their new rooms. And uh, they were all excited, looking forward to unpacking all their things. And then, uh, as we were loading in, our neighbor pops her head over the fence. We'd never met her before. She says, can I get you a drink? It's a warm day. And we said, oh, that'd be lovely. Great, we can't find the kettle or anything yet. Please, thank you very much. And she said, sorry if I look a bit tired, but we've been up all night because our dog has just had nine puppies. (laughs) Now at that point, my kids were not the slightest bit interested in their new rooms or finding the stuff or unpacking the boxes. All they wanted was to see these nine puppies. So I'm trying to get this house in order, trying to unpack boxes, and my wife and my kids are next door going, oh! They call me round. I go around and they're all there, these little oh. And they go, Dad, I'm a hold. And I go, No. Look, look how cute. No. Oh, look at his floppy ears. No. Well, over the coming weeks, those little puppies they grew, their eyes opened. And uh, they began to walk around and they began to poo everywhere and all that sort of stuff that dogs do. And my wife said, can we have a dog? Because they bred them to sell them. Oh, they're so cute, Mark. Can we have one? No. And she said, give me two good reasons why we can't have a dog. I said, okay, poo and fur. Everywhere. All my black trousers. I remember we used to have cats. Everywhere. My black clothes were just white hair everywhere. No. I've seen too many people walk around with inverted carrier Tesco carrier bags, picking up steaming deposits off the floor and then turning the bag inside out and tying it. It's disgusting. No. Well, I didn't have to be that persistent with my no because our neighbor managed to find a buyer for all of the puppies. And uh, so my kids disappointed, my wife disappointed. I'm in the dog house. (laughs) And so one day we're in the garden and um, my kids are there, my wife's there, my neighbor's over the fence and I say, I hear you've sold all the dogs. Thinking this was a great moment to declare that this wasn't going to happen. And she said, Well, we had, uh oh, but someone has pulled out and we have one left. My kids, <laughs> Dad, one, we only want one. And so I'm thinking, Think quick, Mark, think quick, what can you say? And I thought, I've got the killer answer. I said, Oh, do you know what? We might be quite interested. But we travel a lot. We're away a lot. And it wouldn't be fair on a dog. There you are, kids. Good answer. Saw it. I'm out of it. And then she said, oh, that wouldn't be a problem. Because if ever you go away, we'd love to have her back. Stay with us any time of the year. Go away as often as you want. We'll look after her. Oh, no. Kids, please don't tell me you hear that. We hear that, Dad. Oh, no. No. So we go in that night and uh, kids go to bed and my wife and I are talking. When I say talking, she talked, I listened. And then we come to the conclusion, do you know what? If maybe there is going to be some time in my life when I'm ground down to get a dog, then when the kids are younger, is probably the time to do it. So I crept next door in the night and knocked on the door and I said, If you still have that one dog available? I said, yes. I said, can we, can we, can we buy it? they go, yeah, we'd be delighted. So I walk back to the house. We didn't say anything to the kids the next morning. They go to school. They come home from school. We have tea. We sit at the table. And they say, kids, after tea, we want to go in the other room. We want to talk about some stuff. So we go in the other room. The kids are all sitting there thinking, what's this about? We don't often have family conferences. You know, what's going on? Has someone got detention? And then I say, kids, you know that one dog that was left next door? And they go, yeah. I say, it's been sold. Oh, Dad. Oh, well, that's just a it, not it, Dad? You know, just thanks a lot. I said, but, you know, it's been sold to someone who lives pretty close to us. And they go, oh, but it's not the same. We wanted a dog, Dad. I said, oh, they live really close. And they said, you can see them anytime. Go, yeah, but we wanted our dog. I said, and they live so close. They live in the same house as us. And they go, yeah, what? And like lights went on in their little minds. And they ran up to us and they began to cry. My wife began to cry. And I began to cry. As my kids, you get them a the hang of this interactive stuff, as good. And my kids just hugged us and said, Dad, you are the best dad in the world. And... They said, we will clean our room every day. We'll walk the dog. We'll pick up all the poo. We'll do the dishwasher. We'll do everything, but thank you. They never have cleaned their room or picked the poo up or anything. But do you know what? There I was hugging them. And just as, just as I was at the height of that moment of sense and their appreciation, I was reminded of a verse in the Bible. It says, You, even though you have evil inclinations in your life, even though you're not perfect, if you still know how to give your children good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those he loves? You see, I wasn't trying to be nasty saying no to my kids, I was just trying to be sensible. I love my kids so much. I told my daughter a few months ago that she's not allowed to get married until she meets a, a boy who loves her more than I do. She said, oh, that's never going to happen, is it? I said, exactly. <laughs> I love them loads, but I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've, I've sometimes got angry with them and shouted at them have sometimes made decisions that were because i was tired i don't get it right maybe maybe in your life there have been people fathers that haven't got it right maybe they've got it very wrong but the bible says god our heavenly father never gets it wrong He'll never hurt us, abuse us, damage us, betray us, leave us, abandon us. He will never, ever do that. And as a result, we can be confident in Him. The third reason, third story. So we can be confident in God because he's someone we can trust with all of our hearts. We can be confident in God because he's a loving, heavenly father who is for us. And we can be confident in God because he's not just interested in the outward surface, but he's interested in something much deeper, and that's the heart. The bottom of my garden, there's a big hedge. And this big hedge was growing bigger and bigger, and it needed to be cut and it was a big job, it was a big hedge, and needed to hire some machinery. So I hired some machinery, and I spent a whole day chopping the top of this hedge and the depth of this hedge off, and, and it took me hours and hours to do this. And at the end of it, I stood back, and I could see the view again, and, and I'd reclaimed about a metre and a half of depth in the garden because I'd cut so much back, and I was just really pleased that I'd finished the job. And I thought, job well done, Mark, well done really good, and then I realized I hadn't finished yet, because all of this stuff I chopped off was still sitting in my lawn, and I had to get rid of it somewhere, and it was so much of it. If I'd hired a skip, I would have had to hire two skips. If I'd taken it in the car to the local refuse collection or the recycling center, it would have taken probably about 10 journeys, and if I threw it in the bin, it was going to take weeks and weeks to put it out to the so they'd collect it in sort of small enough quantities. So I thought, I've got a great idea. Because at the other part of my bottom of my garden, there's a what was a vegetable patch. The previous people who owned the house grew things there. Carrots, potatoes, strawberries. But since we'd moved there, and I'm not into gardening, since we'd moved there, all of that stuff had stopped growing. And now all that were growing there were blackberries and nettles. And it was a pretty hazardous place. So I had an idea. What if I pile all of that hedge cut- cut- cut-ins that I've got in the middle of my lawn, and I put them on top of the nettles, and I set fire to it. I will get rid of the hedge clippings, and I will also get rid of the weeds. What a great idea. So I piled it on, and I made this really big preparation for a fire. And then I, don't try this at home, all right? Go on a friend's house. I poured some petrol <laughs> over the top of all of this fire, and, uh, and I just poured a load on. Please don't try it. And then I got a match, and I threw the match onto the fire. And then, woof, this, um, all this hedge seemed to catch a light, and there were big flames. I thought, whoa, that's quite a fire. Um, and I thought, this is going to be really easy. I've got rid of all the clippings, and I've also got rid of all the weeds eventually when this fire dies down. But it seemed that with only a matter of seconds that the flames, as quickly as they came, seemed to just quickly disappear. It seemed that all they were interested in was the petrol. And when the greedy flames had licked all the petrol off the leaves, then the flames just disappeared and said, we're not coming out anymore. So I wouldn't make much of a pyromaniac. I'm quite aware of that. Is that what you call them? And um, so my neighbor, the one who sold us the dog, except... Her husband, he's in the garden, and he's a bit more of an outdoor rugged sort of guy, really. And so I say to him, hey, I'm trying to light a fire, but I just can't do it. Are you any good with fires? He said, well, have you put petrol on? I said, yeah, I put petrol on, but he wasn't interested. And then he said, I'll come on and give you a hand. So as he begins to walk from the back of his garden to the front of his house, to the front of my house, to the back of my garden, I think I'll do some work in preparation. I'm sure he's going to say, put more petrol on it. So, I'll put more petrol on. So, I get the petrol can and I begin to put petrol on the fire. But what I didn't realize was right in the middle, this is the middle here, just this bit, not not that bit, not that bit, but this bit. Right in the middle, there's a little flame that I can't see. And when I begin to pour the petrol on, this flame chases the petrol, not to the top of the Gathered pile of hedge clippings, it chases it towards the petrol can. Bang! There is a loud explosion. So loud an explosion that our homes and our garages and our gardens actually physically shook. There were people running out of their homes saying, Has there been an earthquake? There were kids run from the local park to the back of my house, and they said, what's going wrong? What's the matter? Now, the petrol can I was holding was now on fire. The gloves I were wearing were now on fire. The shed that was in my vegetable patch was now on fire. My neighbor arrives in the garden prepared to help me to light a fire, and he goes, "What's gone on here? And he's running to get a hose pipe now to help me put one out. So I think the petrol can's on fire, so I crazily think that if I just rub it in the grass, it'll go out. Ridiculous. And I thought, what am I doing? It's a petrol can on fire. So I throw it on the fire. Bang, another explosion. <laughs> I flick the gloves off. The gloves are on fire on the ground. My hands seem to have come out of it unscathed and my neighbors there with a hosepipe trying to put the shed out <laughs> it's gone from a, a, a nice tranquil scene of trying to light a nice garden in a fire to like emergency tv drama eventually we control the fire the shed to this day still stands it's a different color but it's still there. We spent the night, remainder of the night, moving this circumference of this little um, fire around all the weeds so it burned them all up. And uh, when I went in that night, I sort of went and I lay in bed and I thought, God, thank you for my life. That was close. Next morning, I woke up and I looked out into the garden through my bedroom window and I saw where the fire had been. There was my black shed. And there on the ground where there once were weeds was just charred earth. And I thought, yes. Got rid of all the weeds. Got rid of all the hedge clippings. Job done. I thought there's only one thing I've got left to do and that is I need to just turn the earth over So I went down to the garden. I got a little garden fork. I put it in the ground, and I tried to turn it over. But then, just then, I realized something. I realized that even though above the surface, every weed had disappeared, just beneath the surface, there was a network of roots for these weeds that were still alive. If I left it a few weeks, few months, you know what would happen once again? Those living roots would come back up and expose themselves once again as weeds. The reason why you can trust God is the Bible says that while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. While we live in a world that's obsessed with how you look, do I look alright? Do I look fine? And we spend a lot of money trying to get our hair right and use the right products and get the right clothes or the right labels so people won't judge us and we won't feel left out and we'll feel like we belong. And then we've got to get our makeup just right and we've got to just make sure that we fit into what's the normal, whatever that is. And we spend our time trying to make sure everything's right on the outside. Everything looks good above the surface. But the Bible says that while we live in a world that's obsessed with above the surface, God is able to go much deeper than that. And God looks underneath the surface and wants to cure what's wrong below. Because the Bible says that your heart and my heart It's desperately wicked. It's full of weeds. It's like if we were a computer, we've got a virus. And we can try all we want to put new gadgets and buy a new mouse and a new keyboard and change the stickers and upgrade the RAM. But if you've got a virus, the only thing that's going to fix it is getting something that cleans up the virus in the program. And Jesus, when he came to give his life, for you and I he came not to just make the outward part of our life look right but he came to work deeper to work beneath the surface of our lives to fix not just your tantrums and your anger tantrums but to actually fix the issues below God's able to do that so I want to ask you a question tonight, I'm going to pray in a moment and when we pray, I'm going to ask you for a, a few responses. The first thing I'm going to ask you tonight is whether there is anybody here that you've never, you've never before really, really said, God, I want to trust you with my life. And I want to place my confidence in you, so much so that I want to spend the rest of my life following your, your ways and your example and being in relationship with you because I just think you're so cool. And I'm going to ask for anybody who says, that's what I want. That's what I feel is right. And right now, your heart's beating, and you're saying, oh, that's what I want. I want to know someone who never abandoned me. I want to know, be in relationship with someone I can trust completely. Someone who loves me, no matter what I do. Someone who's always, always, always loving me. Someone who's proud of me. For those who want to make that decision, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment and ask you to pray with me. Then I'll ask you to respond. Let me know who you are so I can pray for you. The second thing I'm going to ask for your response, uh, is if there are people here who may have already made that decision in the past, but they say, I recognize that I've been trying to do things my own way. Maybe I've relied on my own confidence or my own abilities, my own competencies, my own experience. And maybe I've relied on that. But tonight, I want to say, God, I want to trust you with all of my heart. So can I ask you just to close your eyes and and, and, I, and really, really ask that for the sake of those people around you, that you don't sort of disturb each other at this moment. Because it's, It's a really important moment for people. And if you're a good friend, you'll just respect that with your friends. But if you're saying, I want to know the love that I've been describing tonight of a loving father, perfect father, someone I can completely trust in then you pray this prayer after me. And it goes like this. You can either pray it out loud or pray it in your mind. Just articulate the words quietly. It's fine. God hears that. And this is a prayer to God. And it goes like this. God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me more than anyone else has ever loved me or ever will love me. I thank you that you believe in me. And you've got good things in store for my life. But I recognize that I've lived my life without you. I've not trusted you. I've not followed you. I've done things my own way. And that means that I've made mistakes. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I've done things wrong. And I've had bad attitudes. And I'm really sorry. Please forgive me now. Please come into my life and reveal your love to me. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Just while you keep your eyes closed, if you can, just for a moment. I know you can. If you could do that, that would be great. If you prayed that prayer tonight for the first time, I'd love to know who you are so I can involve you in a prayer. And, and it might be that some of the team afterwards would love to just meet with you. Could you just let me know who you are by raising your hands? If you pray that prayer tonight, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 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 Just those of you who raised your hands, just say, God, would you just come and show yourself to me now? I trust you. Thank you. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down again. Father, I pray that every one of these really special young men and young women will know the closeness of your love, not as an idea, not as a thought, but as a reality tonight. And I pray that where they felt shame, that you will completely remove that shame from their lives because you've forgiven their past because Jesus has made that possible. And I pray that they would know that they're accepted, they're loved, and that you're with them. I don't know how huggy you are as a person, whether you like hugs or whether you find that a little bit in your face, but God just wants to hug you with his love right now, and just tell you that he thinks you're amazing. And now for everyone in the room, have there been areas of your life where you've been trying to fix things yourself, work it out yourself? You recognize you've not fully trusted God. You recognize you've had an issue with God's love. And you recognize that you've been more interested with the things above the surface than you have below. And as I've been speaking, you say, God, I need to put that right. I need to sort that out. Help me. If you want God to help you, would you just stand where you are right now? He'll come and he'll help you. And there'll be people who'll stand alongside you. And they'll pray that you will grow and develop. Just across this room, just stand. Say, God, I need your help. God, I pray that every one of these really precious men and women, young people that are standing here tonight, I pray that they won't just know about you. They won't just believe in you, but they will know you. That they will know you. And just know what you think about them. And how you believe in them. And I pray that verse into being Philippians 1 6 that God who has started something good in you, God who has initiated it, He signed it already to say, I believe in you. That God who started that work will finish it, He will complete it. And I speak that in some of your life because some of you think you've blown it. Some of you think, I've gone too far. I've done too much. God could never forgive me or accept me. There a, a, must be a small print when God says that. And it means that I'm ruled out. And God says, no, you're not ruled out. No, you haven't gone too far. No, you've not messed up beyond uh, the way that I can rescue you. No, you have not gone too far. And God says, you are mine and I will finish that which I've started in you. So, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will just reveal all of that truth to us. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hi, we are Malachi. What do we have to say, Alex, to to the listeners? Uh, uh, Listen more. Cheers for listening to the free download. from Resonate 2012. Please feel free to listen to the other yeah. sessions. Jesus loves you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs>